guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I'd like to thank my sponsors, PML Construction, SRP Environmental, CCS Group, Make You Safe Wearable Technology, and the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group. Check out the episode notes and find their websites or contact information. Check them out and give them a call if they can help you out. Thank you for your support, guys. I sincerely appreciate it. Now on with the episode. Good morning, guys. Welcome back to What's the Hazard? This is Doug. It is Friday, September 1st. August is just a blur. It's in the rearview mirror. How the hell did that happen? I don't know. Uh, We have some incredible guests this morning. I'm really excited, and we've talked about it. I've been kind of prepping these guys for the for the episode, but my, my good friend, Randy Stevenson, my new friend, Brian Moore, attorneys, Esquires with Baird Home Law Firm here in Omaha. Um, man, it's great to have you. Thank you for being here. Oh, we're glad to be here. People have been really excited to hear from you. Everybody is excited to hear from you when you are offering information about OSHA specifically, but we're going to talk a little bit more about workers' compensation today which is a subject that is always there. It's always on the periphery of the safety and health work that we do. A lot of people have to do both. In fact, I think the systems are commingled oftentimes in businesses, but there are some distinctions and some misconceptions that I'd like to talk about. So we'll get to that. But first of all, I just have to satisfy my own curiosity. You guys both went to um, law school at the University of Nebraska. Correct. But you were not in the same class. No, no, a couple years apart. <laughs> a couple years, a couple apart. years apart. Okay, because Randy, you and I are basically the same age. You graduated from law school in the eighties, eighty five, eighty five. So that would probably put us almost at the exact same age. Graduated from college in eighty in eighty two. Then I'm yep. assuming. Yep. And you just graduated from law school. I mean, yeah, yeah. I was born in eighty six. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so now we know who's who. Okay. So I, I, yeah, I graduated from law school in twenty fifteen. So okay. about eight years out in practice. But you guys are both in the um, uh, employment and labor group exactly. at Baird Home, right? Okay, so you're colleagues. Yes. And you're a partner. That's yeah. right. Wow, We're good partners. for you, man. Thank you. You get to be a partner that young. Yeah, well, you know, he's a superstar. Okay, good. I'm not even a partner in my own company, so I'm impressed. That's fantastic. Well, so first of all, just what does LLP stand for? Limited Liability Partnership. Okay. It's just a a business entity. Okay. It it is not a reference to law, the practice of law specifically. No. Okay. All right. I I, I did not know that. And then um, Esquire, where does that come from? You know, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, obviously, it comes from England. It's an English term. It's an okay. old English term. Okay. Um, so, that, does it refer to counselor or barristers and solicitors? Barristers and solicitors in England uh, would be called. I don't. Do you know any more about the origins? I I couldn't tell you anymore. I I don't even use Esquire. Okay. Is that on your card? <laughs> no, it's my mom likes to put it after my name. No, I'm sure she does. Oh, my mom would love that. Yeah, she doesn't get that opportunity, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah, on my cards, I don't have it. I mean, it's, you know, some lawyers do it. I think they're kind of mad because as a profession, we've agreed in this country not to call ourselves doctor. Okay. Even though we've got doctorates. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but you don't okay. refer to yourself as Dr. Stevenson? No. Something like that? No. Okay. I mean, if we were lawyers in Europe uh, or a lot in other parts of the world, they use that um, honorific. Okay. Then you guys don't use the powdered wigs either. No, no. Okay. 
because I watch, it, frankly, I watch a lot of Netflix and I really enjoy some of those British legal shows. Mm -hmm. Some of them are really interesting and they use the terms barrister and some of the, you know, some of the terms you mentioned, very old fashioned, or at least old looking practice of law, you know, which is kind of interesting. It is. Yeah. A lot you of know, tradition. I mean, where it's all kind of rooted in that. So interesting. I, I, don't, I can't see either of you in the white wig, frankly, but, <laughs> no. but it might be, you know. At the costume party, perhaps. So <laughs> before we start talking about work comp, um, I personally really enjoy legal shows, television, movies, things like that. And do you have a favorite? Is there one that you... So I'll give you some examples. Um, I have this vision of you guys sipping the scotch at the end of the day, just like in that Boston legal, you know, the William Shatner. <laughs> and uh, is that a... Is that, reality or i actually no. have scotch in this <laughs> right now <laughs> <You're> right. Okay. <laughs> is randy your boss or just a just a counterpart <laughs> we're, we're partners now do you so. have bosses no I mean, as a partner you partner, don't have a boss necessarily there's a managing partner right but you don't that's really have a boss okay we're right. really all accountable to one another that's what yeah. partnerships okay. about as the partnership yeah. mm -hmm. okay interesting well that's nice so favorite shows uh you know it hasn't been on for a long time, but when L.A. Law was on, probably before you were born. <laughs> right. <laughs> I remember that, was, that. That was actually pretty technically accurate. Was it? Yeah. Um, other than, of course, you know, real cases and real matters move very slowly. Mm -hmm. And when you've got an hour-long TV show, you know, it's just not reality to, uh, especially in some of these, to have a, you know, like a crime the investigation and a trial and it's all done in you know one hour <laughs> yeah literally it, it probably spans a week total in the yeah in the yeah. time frame movie wise um a few good men would be my favorite oh that's a good one yeah so at the tom cruise right jack, jack nicholson. nicholson wow that's powerful that really is interesting M my favorite is my cousin Vinny. That's, that's <laughs> the reason I went to law school. Is it truly? I absolutely love the courtroom scenes in my cousin Benny. They're Are they similar? Cute. I mean, do you have you had similar? I mean, I mean, it's it's so dramatized, just so absurd that it's, that it's, it's. But it's not that absurd in the way he cross examines witnesses. Mm -hmm. In fact, in one of my classes in law school, uh, a, a trial advocacy class, they showed scenes from that, and they're like, "This is kind of a this textbook cross examination." Obviously, it's stylized. He gets away with some things you wouldn't uh, in a real courtroom, but mm -hmm. that's basically mm -hmm. the frame framework of how to impeach somebody really? on, on the on the. That's stand. interesting. So it's not quite like the uh, one of the movies I'm thinking of is Lincoln Lawyer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that is a Grisham or a Michael Conley or whatever that is. I think but, it was Grisham, but it's uh, Matthew McConaughey, and he's you know he. He drives around in the Lincoln. Basically, his office is his car, essentially. I think that's the concept. But it's very dramatic and stuff. And law is not necessarily always like that, I don't think, is it? I mean, is it? No, a lot of it's pretty mundane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quite a lot honestly. of research. Research. A lot of paperwork. Uh, I mean, it's intellectually stimulating, but it's, it's not flashy. Mm -hmm. I remember when my kids were little, there was some show. I think it was called Jag. Oh, yeah. Was, uh -huh. And... You know, this guy would, you know, fly, the lawyer would fly jets and everything. <laughs> right. And my kids are little and they're asking me what I do. Yeah. If, if I've ever flown a jet. <laughs> yep. Do you fly a jet to work, daddy? No. Yeah. Oh, no, that's awesome, though, man. <laughs> I, I do find it really interesting. I don't know. There aren't a lot of, like, OSHA shows 
but I would assume that it would be hard to not be really critical of a show of your profession when you watch it. You right. know, like that's crap, that's crap, that's crap, that never happens, that kind of right. thing. I think it would be so maybe it's not as pleasurable to you living it every day as it would be to me or something. Exactly. And when I say something like that, my wife just looks at me and says, <laughs> It's a show. Yeah. Right. Just, just go with it. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard to do. Well, let's talk a little bit about first of all, the uh, labor and employment practice at Baird Home. What you guys cover a lot of ground there. Um, OSHA law workers' compensation issues, retaliation, discrimination, all sorts of things. All of those, yeah. I mean, pretty much every um, legal concern an employer could have, we've got it covered. Okay. Um, just because that's the way we've evolved over the last 150 years. I mean, we've, you know, based on clients' needs, we get lawyers or train up lawyers to specialize in the areas of the law that, they need to be on top mm -hmm, of to, mm -hmm. to give good representation to those clients. So, yeah, I mean, we do um, traditional labor relations, you know, that's involving unions. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll represent employers in terms of um, negotiating collective bargaining agreements, um, union elections, things like that. Um, employment law, which, as you mentioned, you know, the discrimination claims that could be ada issues all ADA, of those are employment. fmla mm -hmm. and we do a lot of counseling and compliance mm -hmm. uh now brian's practice is more litigation based where mine is more uh counseling and compliance based trying to mm -hmm. help people uh help employers stay out of court and when i mess that up and they get in court then brian takes over okay <laughs> okay here you go buddy is what yeah. I, here's some notes I scribbled down, so good luck with that. Exactly. Yeah, but I can remember you and I have known each other a long time, oh, yeah. you know, since my OSHA days and early days. And, and we always used to think, oh, shit, they got Randy Stevenson. I can remember <laughs> oh. we would issue citations. Randy would come in, typically educate us because you had done your homework. Invariably, you knew more about the regulations than we did at that point. And you would slide some obscure letter of interpretation across the table to me or you know to darwin or whomever and we or a review go. commission case exactly yeah. which really we didn't have a lot of access i mean we had access to them but researching the review commission was difficult for me to just find my navigate that system it was much more difficult you know so usually yeah. had okay vacate vacate whatever reduce <laughs> you know reclassify Please just leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and you guys were always good to deal with. Everybody there has been, you know, good to deal with. I've not really had anybody who is um, just a jerk for, you know, sometimes they don't agree with mm -hmm, us. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's fine. Sure. But I think yeah, that's okay. You, you got a lot of folks there who um, are dedicated and, and um, just trying to do their job. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. And there need to be checks and balances in every system. Someone right. needs to hold OSHA accountable to its rules and regulations as well. So exactly, no hard feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and now we've become great friends, and we actually work together much more than we used to. So. Yeah, it's been over thirty years. It's been a long time, man. So, well, let's let's get the kid involved. <laughs> okay. So this work comp thing, um, I admittedly don't know a lot about workers' compensation. It's always been there on the periphery of what we do, but the system itself, can you describe just basically work comp? I mean, what, you know, what it's for and why and sure. those kind of things. Yeah. I think there's a lot of misconceptions generally about workers' compensation. A lot of people think it's 
like a state run system, almost like social security. And that's where the benefits are coming. And that's, that's not the case. It's, it's, uh, it's a state system, but the state requires every employer to have work comp insurance. And what that is insuring against is injuries in the workplace. And anytime you have an employee that gets injured in the scope of their employment, if it occurs in the course of employment arising out of their employment, you need to pay benefits to that employee. And that'll come in, in uh, different forms, medical benefits and disability benefits are the big two. Okay. And really that medical benefits could be unlimited. You know, if this person is severely injured, you're going to be paying a lot of medical and anything they need that's reasonable and necessary as a result of that injury, the employer and their insurance company needs to pay those benefits. Okay. And the disability benefits are basically for the time you've lost from work. If you're off work, uh, healing and treating, you're going to get temporary disability benefits. And after you finish treating, you're going to get any benefits uh, related to a permanent disability. So if you've, you know, if you've, uh, you know, broke your broke your leg, and you're going to have that that lack of mobility in your ankle the rest of your life. You're going to get compensated for that. If if you've got permanent work restrictions that are going to limit your access to the labor market, you're going to get a loss of earning capacity in the form of permanent disability benefits. Okay. So what does no fault mean? Yeah. So it's a it's a no fault system, and I think that's one of the big misconceptions is folks think, well, it was my it was my employee's fault and he did something dumb. Drove he made the forklift off the dock. Exactly something. right. And they think, well, we, we shouldn't have to pay for that. It's mm-hmm. his fault. It's a no fault system. And really the whole, the whole idea behind work comp is it's, it's a trade off from typical tort liability uh, where. Would that the, be a lawsuit of some sort? Is that. Yeah. Yeah. So typically you'd need to prove uh, who was at fault? Okay. You need to, okay. you know, if you slip and fall at the grocery store, you need to prove the grocery store was liable. Okay. If, if you're injured at work, you don't need to prove that they were liable. You just need to prove that it happened at work. At work, in the scope of your work. Right. And okay. the and the trade off there, it's easy to show entitlement to those benefits, but your your uh, benefits are capped. So you're not going to get pain and suffering damages like you would if you sued someone who is not your employer. I see. And so it limits the employer's exposure, but at the same time, it's a slam dunk when somebody gets hurt okay. <laughs> most okay. of the time. Interesting. And so I've always wondered then, you know, why employers or maybe the insurance companies don't fight more cases. Is it because it's a slam dunk typically? The burden of proof is significant for the employer to demonstrate that it wasn't a work-related issue or something like that. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And the insurance company and the employer have an affirmative duty to pay those benefits if if there's no dispute. Okay. And if they fail to do it within 30 days, they get penalties and they can just make things worse for themselves. And so, uh, in, in most cases, the insurance company ought to just pay the benefits, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and not fight it. Now Mm -hmm. there's lots of reasons to fight it and there are situations when you're going to want to fight it, but you know, the, the run of the mill work comp case is not going to result in a lawsuit Mm -hmm. and is not going to be. So how do you know if you need an attorney? I mean, when, when do you, when do you need an attorney 
because you don't have an attorney representing you for each work comp claim, I would assume. Is that or, right. or do you? I don't. Right. I don't you know. know. By the time the case comes to us, typically there has been something that's gone awry. Okay. Either, either it's disputed whether the injury actually arose out of employment. It might be, well, this person already had XYZ symptoms before the accident. Mm -hmm. I don't know that this accident caused these injuries. Mm -hmm or aggravated these okay. injuries. Someone uh, may have suggested, well, I saw him do that playing softball this weekend or something. Maybe maybe the factual representation is a little bit loose or something. Yeah, exactly. We see a lot of that. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing, when you talk about, um, you know, the trade-off and for the employer, the, the damages are capped. Um, the, the other thing that's really good for the employer is if the claim uh, occurred... It, during uh, the employee's work, workers' comp is the exclusive remedy. In other words, the employer can't pay out those benefits, and then the employee says, well, I'm going to bring a separate tort lawsuit against okay. you, too. That's it. And, you know, if it's – well, I'll give you an example. Um, the A lot of times the benefits depend upon um, the person's – like for someone who dies – you know, what kind of a family situation do they have? And I remember, uh, and this was one that you guys at OSHA investigated when you were there, a guy who was working in a feedlot, young kid, he was like 19, 20 years old, a bull just, you know, moved around and crushed him and I he remember died. That. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the work comp payout was $6,000. That was the, the entire payout. It was just funeral expenses because... Mm -hmm. Kid wasn't married, didn't have any children. Mm, wow. Um, and, and, you know, so that it's really got a significant impact in some cases. Mm -hmm. Had no duty to care for his parents or anything. So that was it. That would right. just, wow. And then, you know, you see other cases where someone passes and, you know, they've got a big family and, mm -hmm. and they may have had a lot of medical expenses before that and, you know, actually, probably the most expensive cases, I would assume, Brian, are the ones where the person hasn't died but really is is significantly disabled for the rest of their life. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's that's exactly right. The the most expensive ones are usually back injuries or, or maybe a head trauma or a traumatic mm -hmm. brain injury mm -hmm. where there's treatment ongoing for the rest of the person's life. Yeah. And if they're determined to be permanently totally dis disabled and can't return to work the employer is going to be paying benefits weekly for the rest of that mm -hmm. person's life. So those are the most expensive, uh, where if it's a, a death benefits case, when their when their children reach the age where they're heading off to college and they're adults, those benefits stop. So, so yeah, uh, sometimes so those are much shorter. I think that's interesting. So different scenarios. I, I'm at work. I hurt something, strain my back, whatever. I go through th some therapy. I'm unable to work. I have therapy. I get released to go back to work and everything's fine. And I get like a weekly, perhaps a weekly benefit then during that period. But there is no settlement because I've been, there is no permanent disability. I go back to work and that's it. Your benefits would stop at that point and whatever that is. Right, right. For the most part. So the, the time you're off, the benefits are going to be, let's say you're completely off work for mm -hmm. that period. Your benefits will be two thirds 
of your average weekly wage. And that average weekly wage is determined uh, based on your prior wages for okay. 26 weeks. And so, so two thirds of your wages, it's tax free. So it's, it's essentially the same as what you okay. bring in home after taxes. Okay. okay. Is it capped um, at some level? And there, there are caps um, and the work comp act updates that every single year. And so high wage earners are not going to be bringing home the same amount mm -hmm. that they typically would mm -hmm. okay. uh, when they're on the temporary benefits. But, but once you've reached what a doctor determines is maximum medical improvement, that's when we determine your entitlement to permanent benefits. Okay. And in the situation you're describing, if you come back to work and you have no permanent restrictions or impairments or anything, there's going to be no benefit. There's no settlement. Right. Okay. Well, I guess the, the case is concluded, but you don't get a lump sum or something like that. This, this check or whatever, or these con a continuation of benefits. So I went to a place one time when I was a compliance officer. Um, it was a food processing facility that'll remain nameless, but um, the employees, it was a union shop and the employees, um, there was a job where they, there was a lot of manual cutting. Okay. The employees were removing, making a cut on the, a piece of meat and they were all, um, they had those vats full of like melted wax in the break room. This is probably predates you, but the employees would go in there and they would put this hot wax on their hands and wrists to give them a little bit of soothing relief, you know, during their breaks. And then they would peel that wax off and go back to work. And as we're walking, I'm walking through this facility with the plant manager and we're talking about these employees. I was like, why don't, you know, all of them had had carpal tunnel surgeries of some sort. Why don't they move? You know, why don't you move them over to a, well, they want that job and they all have settlement checks, you know, <laughs> Doug just got a new pickup and Bob's got a bass boat and Tom's got a camper. And, and I just, I was flabbergasted by that because you know, I'm a, I'm a do the right thing guy. I believe, you know, I didn't really even conceive that people would want, and maybe that's extreme, but they were willing to suffer that injury for that settlement. And so apparently they've had this carpal tunnel surgery. They received some kind of a disability decision by a physician and they get some kind of settlement for that. Is that, in the realm of possibility yeah i mean i, I i'm with you i don't think i'm i'm wanting to sell my right hand for a new truck but <laughs> depends but, on the truck yeah, yeah i mean a really nice one anymore <laughs> man the trucks are expensive but 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 yeah so the in the work comp act there are two different kinds of injuries there are scheduled member injuries and there are non-scheduled member injuries that we call body as a whole injuries. okay the scheduled members are things like you're hands, talking about members meaning like a body part, body not parts. like a club <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, if you're in the club, you get a rate different than the guy that's not yeah, the in the club. Members only. Right. Exactly. Benefits. Uh, no, I think you like lose hands, a finger, lose a hand. fingers, uh, arm, legs. Okay. Um, and there's there's a schedule for what that body part is worth. Okay. And so it's it's a week weeks of benefits. I and see. so uh, those types of injuries will be assessed by a physician and assigned a permanent impairment rating and okay. your benefits are based off of that impairment rating. So if you've got, you know, carpal tunnel surgery, mm -hmm. you, you heal up and the doctor says you've got a 10% permanent disability benefit or a 
permanent impairment rather, then your permanent disability benefits will be 10% of your benefit rate, which was two thirds of your average mm -hmm. weekly okay. wage. And you'll get that for, for life no, no just... uh, based on the schedule. So, okay. So if, you know, if it's an arm, it's 225 weeks and you know, all that every different body part has a different, I see number of weeks associated and does that come as a lump sum then or would that just come as a weekly payment or the what, what's the negotiation for this big lump sum thing yeah a, a lot of times when you're seeing a lump sum it's the insurance company wants to close their, their okay. file out and they don't want to administer these weekly checks and so okay. they'll offer an, an employee a lump sum um, just to close it out in exchange for a release of any future benefits. Okay. Um, that's, that's certainly not required. No one has to agree to it. Uh, but anytime there is a settlement, it has to get approved by the work comp court. So there's a okay. few more hoops to jump through. Um, but, but typically that's what the insurance company wants to do is just send. They just want to settle stuff, right? Yeah. They just want to wrap typically. it up. Okay. Get it off their so books. What do I, what, I mean, you guys uh, counsel employers, typically that would be your client. What do they do? What do employers do wrong that that you you would prefer they don't do? Well, one is um, when it is uh, an injury that um, first of all it's going to be recorded in your three hundred log. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one that you've got to fill out a first report of injury for. Okay. I mean the the state statute for um, when it's necessary to fill out a first report of injury virtually mirrors what is a recordable injury for okay. OSHA. Um, and people, employers worry, well, if I do that, you know, we're admitting liability. And you're really not. What, what you're doing is, A, you're following the law because technically mm -hmm. not filing a first report of injury is a minor crime. Mm -hmm. But second, you're starting the statute of limitations to, you know, running. If okay. you don't do that, then five years down the road, 10 years down the road, somebody can, can raise a claim. I see. Okay. So we do, we want a chronology on this. So we know there is a reporting time frame or something that's also for the employee. Does a, is an employee obligated to report within a certain time frame or? Well, so, but, that, I'll let you address that. <laughs> right. So in order to be entitled to benefits, you have to give your employer notice of the accident and injury. Okay. Um, and, but there's really no uh, clear, bright line rule mm -hmm. for that. It's, it's as soon as practicable. And okay. so it's very fact dependent. Um, but e even if they don't give you notice, if you have knowledge of the accident and the injury, you'll be imputed with sure. With, with the notice. Of course. And is. so you can't turn a blind eye to it. And that's one of the mistakes I see employers make all the time is they know an employee has a nagging injury or they've mm -hmm. left several times for uh, medical appointments and they do nothing to, to see whether or not it happened at work. They haven't done a reasonable job of investigating that. Right. And the court is going to assume you had knowledge if if it's clear that you should have investigated and followed up to see whether this happened at work. And so you might as well investigate and yeah. find out if it happened at work. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you, you've lost your opportunity to timely ask questions and investigate and find out what happened. Okay. And that employee's story can evolve. It can change. Witnesses might no longer work with you. 
a, a lot of things can go wrong. And so that's the biggest mistake I see employers make is not investigating an accident, either, either when they don't, you know, when notice isn't very clear or when notice is clear and they still don't investigate it, which mm -hmm. blows me away. Mm -hmm. You need to investigate it and you need to have thorough investigations. I mean, mm -hmm. And then when does that first report have to be filed based on that notification? Within 10, 10 days. days. Within 10 yeah. days. Okay. Yeah. To the court. Does that go to the court? Right. Okay. And yep. you probably also notify your insurance carrier. Is that part of that notification? Right. Right. Okay. Should, there's there's really no reason not to okay. file the first report and let your insurance company know. Okay. Another mistake I see clients make, employers make, is um, they don't realize that something can be deemed work-related. Um, and I'll give you a good example. There's a Nebraska Supreme Court case where this um, lady was working and she had her 15 or 20 minute rest break, whatever it is, <coughs> excuse me, and she left the premises to go to like a quick shop or quick mm -hmm. convenience store to get a soda and for herself and some other employees was coming back and slipped on the ice and injured herself. And I believe that she slipped and injured herself on the convenience store's property. Um, and that's tough. I mean, if I'm an employer, I'd say, oh, that's too bad, you know, but it didn't happen here. Mm -hmm. But the Nebraska Supreme Court said that's compensable because she was on her break and rest breaks are for the benefit of the employer because it refreshes the employee, makes them more productive. And um, even though it happened on someone else's premises, it really didn't matter. Mm -hmm. It was still um, a compensable claim. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, you know, in terms of that, I would just say if it happens on your premises or while the person's working or while the person's, you know, arriving at work um, or on break, you know, it's not always that you have to record, but you might want to reach out to your legal counsel okay. to figure out, okay, is this something that we need to file a first report on? Okay. And by the same token, uh, record it in your 300 law. Yes, yeah, so that's something that would be recordable as well. It's interesting because at the very beginning of that 1904 regulation, the record-keeping regulation, it does state that, note, you know, the two systems are not the same. If something is not compensable, it doesn't mean it's necessarily not recordable and vice versa. So they try right. to make that clear, but there seems to be a significant amount of overlap, obviously. I mean, the work environment. I That one where you leave the premises for your break, that's an interesting one because that would not necessarily be the work environment as OSHA views it. You are outside of the work environment, but since you're still functioning on behalf of the employer, it could be compensable that's that might be a tough one to swallow man yeah that'd be tough you know and employers have asked us hey you know write write something up you know we're going to have um a firm outing and i want you to write up a waiver so they waive their work <laughs> right, rights. Right. and i you know we can write it up but at the end of the day you can't waive your <laughs> work conference well remember this came up during covid mm. you know right if somebody out there got the boneheaded idea to say, oh, have your employees sign waivers 
that if they get COVID, it's not work related. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you, you, they can't waive their rights like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only way they can really waive the rights is in something approved by the workers' comp court. Okay. Nice try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what about voluntary participation? If it's still a company function and you are essentially coming because you want to rather than you're required to, does that make a difference or no? It, it, it does. And it's, it's, yeah. again, it's pretty fact dependent, but it's, okay. is it for the benefit of the company? And so most of those sorts of team building activities, I was gonna say, you could consider anything like that team building to some degree, probably. Right. So, you know, the, the company softball game, that sure. kind of thing oftentimes is going to, is going to be work. Comp. Okay. And that's a question I get a lot from employers mm -hmm. where, you know, we went bowling and somebody had too much to drink and they, they blew out their knee, <laughs> you know, and, oh and you got to be careful when Absolutely. It's, you're still in a work environment when it's a, a company sponsored event mm -hmm. and you're strongly encouraging everyone to come because it's for the benefit of the team. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, so, so if there's going to be alcohol involved, you got to make sure people are drinking responsibly yeah, of and course. being safe. Should anyway, man. But. Right. That's interesting. So what other advice do you give your clients who are the employers? What kind of advice do you give them? Do you give them some <clears throat> when they <clears throat> retain you to do the their work comp uh, legal work? Do you give them training, advice, counsel? I mean, what, what do they need to know that makes your job easier yeah, the, on their behalf? The number one thing that they can do to make our jobs easier is do a thorough investigation on the front end okay. after the accident. And, you know, that should include a written accident report that's been completed by the employee and, and a supervisor. Uh, you know, if, if it's necessary to have witness statements, get statements from people mm -hmm. who saw the accident. Um, if there's surveillance, you know, if you mm -hmm. have a, if you have a camera somewhere in the, in the office space, Make that sure has probably changed things quite a bit. Absolutely. There seem to be cameras everywhere. Yeah. Has, but unfortunately, a lot of them after 30 days or 60 days record over themselves. Oh, I see. Yeah. And that wasn't captured. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. So you want to okay. make sure you're capturing that. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's appropriate to take pictures of the, mm -hmm. the area. Just a thorough investigation. Right. right. I mean, right. Things, things you'd want to do. You should do that for any scenario. accident. It, right. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons why that's going to benefit the company. One. If, if you're investigating how accidents are happening, you can prevent those accidents Hopefully. from happening mm -hmm. and you can make changes. Um, you can also lock in the employee's story of what happened so that their, um, you know, their version of events don't creep as we get mm -hmm. towards litigation. You know, a lot of times we'll see an accident report says one thing and then their medical records, what they're telling the doctor says a little bit more of an embellished version of the story. Sure. And then we take their deposition when it, you know, when it enters litigation and there's an even, even more exaggerated version of the story. And if you haven't locked them in at the front end and got their signature on a, on a accident report, we can't show that their story is evolving mm -hmm. to fit their narrative. Right. Interesting. And so that's one, one other reason it's really important. Another reason is for their doctors, because oftentimes the dispute is a medical dispute. You know, is this injury really related to the accident that occurred at work? I see. Or is it personal in nature? Mm -hmm. Is it, 
Is it pre-existing? Is it the natural progression of that pre-existing injury? And so if your accident report clearly shows what symptoms they had at the time of the accident, what body parts they injured, and conversely, what, what body parts they didn't injure, you can provide that to an independent medical examiner and say, well, this is what they said happened. Mm. This is where their pain was. Does that make sense in your medical opinion mm -hmm. that that could evolve into what they're currently dealing with? An independent medical examiner. So let's talk a little bit about in Nebraska specifically, the employee can go to any doctor they want to, or do they have to go to a specific doctor if they haven't had an accident at work, for example? How, how, what is that? Yeah, so that's that's an important piece. After the accident, uh, employers are are required to give the employee notice that they have a choice of physician. Okay. And if you fail to give the employee that notice, they can go to any physician, right? And so, well, so how is make that so, distinction? I'm not sure I understood that. Right. So, so typically the employer will provide what we call a form 50 and we call it that because it's governed by rule 50 of the work okay. court. And um, it's a choice of physician form and they can choose a physician that they have a, a history of treatment with. Okay. So they've or, established a relationship right, with either, okay. either their personal family, family doctor mm -hmm. or maybe your, maybe their wife's if their okay. family has a okay. treating relationship. If the dude has an OB issue or something. Right. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we don't want to go down that road. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, but uh, if, if they don't have an established treating physician, they're then subject to the employer's choice of physician. Oh, or if okay. they've received that notice and they decline to choose a physician, again, the employer can make that selection. Okay. And there's obviously a lot of advantages to that. Sure. And typically your insurance company um, will manage where they, where they're recommending uh, the employee go for treatment. Your but, insurance company as the employer, the right. employer's insurance company will be giving some, direction on selecting a physician correct and once there, there seems to be an inherent bias in that i would assume right i mean absolutely that's understandable yeah and, and an employee's family you know primary treating physician is going to be more favorable sure that employee there's bias there as well but they don't they don't really have expertise in occupational medicine either so there are some advantages to going through some type of an occupational medicine facility or exactly with someone with expertise exactly with with an aim at getting this person back to work right. as soon as possible. understanding that yeah um but but the other thing is once the primary treating for the injury has been selected the employee has to stay within their chain of referral so if they're referring okay. that employee out to specialists oh, they okay. have to stay within that chain of referral where if you don't give the employee that choice of physician form and notice that they've got a choice of physician, they can go anywhere they want and they don't have to stay within a chain of referral and they can doctor shop. Oh my God. They don't hear what they, oh, what, a what they liked at the first doctor. Mm -hmm. They can go to another one. And their cousin and, Shecky says, Oh, I got a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He's and ultimately that could all be compensable. Mm -hmm. if, if you failed to give them that form 50. paying for each of those doctor visits and assessments. So okay. long as they're reasonable and necessary to treat. The okay. Injury. Right. So that's a really critical step on the part of the employer. Making Absolutely. sure that's communicated right away. 
when when does that have to be communicated at the time that you that report is given when the employee makes notification that I've had an incident right. and you tell them if you plan to seek medical attention you have to right it's before their right. first their first treatment okay. unless there's an emergency situation and they need to go to the okay. ER well um, if the guy that goes home you know has the injury goes home i'm going to you know rub some dirt on it and see what happens and then goes to a doctor on their own, as long as you've given them that notification, could a doctor be disqualified then if they're seeking out medical assistance from someone who's not, they don't have a relationship with or something like that? Right. So if a doctor has been selected, you've given them notice and, and a, and a doctor has been selected, but then they go pick a different doctor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They can do that, but they're going to have to pay for it on their own. Okay. And the hazard for them <laughs> is their insurance might not cover it because it's work-related. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So do you guys use, um, what if you suspect that the incident report is not factually accurate? I mean, do you ever go stake out the softball diamond or do you have <laughs> the people that might do those investigations? Is that Does that exist or is that... N not as often as you'd think, but but it does exist, um, and the insurance companies... Is it typically the insurance company driving that, uh, or do they work they, for you they, as counsel? They love it. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so the insurance companies, yes, they, they love surveillance. Um, personally, uh, I think you, when you're doing surveillance, it's got to be really educated and thoughtful surveillance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You want to be going to the softball field when you know they're playing softball, for right. example, or, or will suggest having a private investigator follow them to their doctor's appointment, mm -hmm. because then we can see they're walking in just fine. Then they tell the doctor, I have this limp and this altered mm -hmm. gait, my back hurts. And then I they see. drive away. We see them at the grocery store. And again, they're just fine. Is that more of an exception than the rule? Or is that I guess case by case. It'd be yeah, different. it's case by case, but I'd say it's it's more the exception. And, the and usually it's because the employer's been given some information by other employees. Right. Um, I hear that often. Yeah, yeah, that the employees are, you know. He's out on his skeptical. Boat. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah, here's, you know, Facebook and he's water skiing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. The phone camera has changed yeah. things for you guys as well, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean. Of course, the response from the employee is, oh, yeah, and I paid hell the next day for it. I really wanted to get back to normal <laughs> desperately. That's right. Interesting. So what's the biggest settlement? you? I guess that's not a good thing for you. <laughs> <laughs> what's your worst let's, What's the yeah, worst? Let's, let's, yeah. let's retract that. 77 and nothing. Against, uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember that one. Yeah, so I guess that's not a good question for you. I was going to say, but they don't bring up wounds. The ambulance here. chasers are always boasting about the big settlements and things like that. And I, I have um, been deposed a few times, and I don't consider myself an expert witness, but I've actually given opinions on certain things that had a safety component to them, and whether or not there was a violation. <laughs> I think that was just useful information. But I can remember testifying. In a, it was an arbitration, actually, I guess. It wasn't really a, a judge. It was a retire, retired judge who was an arbitrator. But it was, a, I was speaking on behalf of the employee. The employee had been injured, chemical exposure. 
and the employer was Walmart. And so in this, in the, we were in a hotel in a little conference room and there was me, the injured party and his attorney and like 24 Walmart attorneys, <laughs> you know, they had the front table of people, the back table of people, the people that stood there handing stuff around, you know? And at the end of that, I think he made me cry like three times on that. It was just, it was brutal. You know, I, I thought this is really cut and dried, you know, I mean, uh, they hadn't, at least they hadn't lived up to the requirements of the regulation in my opinion. But by the end of it, um, I thought I'm, I'm going to have, I'm going to be black and blue. You know, it looked, uh, looked ugly. <laughs> The attorney came up to me afterwards, the Walmart attorney came up and afterward and gave me his card and said, Hey man, not so bad. You know, <laughs> you held up better than most or something complimentary <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah. But, uh, do you, you do the litigation side of this? Is it, do you enjoy the litigation piece? That's, that's why I enjoy doing what I do is the litigation. Piece. Is it? That's the, so you would be the guy beating me up on the stand, the, the Walmart guy. Yeah. If, if you can make an expert cry, you, you had a good <laughs> day. Yeah. <laughs> well, get me on the stand, man. I'm really, I'm sensitive. Oh my gosh. I do remember though, I was on the other side of that. I was actually speaking on behalf of an employer who was a client of mine and the attorney representing the, uh, I guess that'd be the plaintiff, the employee, um, was asking me about my credentials. And so he was asking, I, have a, I had a CIH and a CSP at the time, which are basic safety and health credentials, you know, <laughs> nothing fancy. But he, had, he was kind of like screwing with me a little bit, you know, and I, which I didn't appreciate. And so he was asking me, like, well, what's it take to get that CIH thing that you've got, you know? And... Uh, and so I gave him some shit about like, you know, well, probably just like getting that law degree thing that you've got or whatever, you know, but I could hear the judge go, oh shit, like up, you know, or whatever, you know, so, but it was almost, it wasn't an attack, but I guess your credibility plays a big part in your testimony. So he, I think he wanted to maybe undermine my credibility. Absolutely. Now I was wearing the same t-shirt. I don't know why you had to go to those lengths to try to discredit me, you know, but it does sound like it would be the courtroom would be an interesting place. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's it's one of the reasons I enjoy doing the work comp is, I mean, a lot of people know most lawsuits settle these days and don't ever end up into a courtroom. Mm -hmm. But the work comp cases move much quicker and they, they do end up going to trial more often mm -hmm. than than the average litigation. Okay. And so there there's quicker cases. There there's not as many witnesses typically. There's there's not as you know it's not a week long jury trial. They're typically mm -hmm. one day. But mm -hmm. you get a you get into the court often and and that's the fun stuff. Mm -hmm. for me. And the depositions and the depositions. Those are interesting. You, you, what are the rules of deposition? Are there rules? There don't seem to be rules. <laughs> well, there there are. I mean, you know, and what's kind of fun is when you get a recalcitrant witness who mm -hmm. won't answer your questions, then you have to get the judge on the phone. <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah, I've been deposed a number of times. And I, I must say the vast majority of, of attorneys that have deposed me on behalf of the other side have been very, you know, respectful and, you know, very professional. It's rare that anybody crosses any line that I've ever seen, you know, it's always pretty low key and, you know, especially in this, in this area, mm -hmm. we've got such a professional bar mm -hmm. in the Omaha and surrounding area that uh, it's rare that 
think we get in a fight at a, mm-hmm. <laughs> at a deposition. But do you know most of the attorneys that would be working on behalf of the employees? Yeah, I mean, I mean I've, you, I've, you encounter them periodically. Yeah, you, you a lot of repeat offenders for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, see them, you see them again and again? Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. You know, one thing I want to go back to when you, you talked about kind of the intersection between work comp and OSHA, Brian was mentioning the investigative report. Um, I, I think whenever you've got a fatality or a really serious injury, that before you finalize that report and share it with the world, you run it by your legal counsel. Mm-hmm. I suggested that to a client once who <clears throat> was a pretty smart guy. And he said, well, why? It's like workers' comp is the exclusive remedy. I said, well, I don't want you to make any admissions in there, though, that OSHA is going to use to say, right. oh, wow, this was a willful. Mm-hmm. You know, you admitted in here that you knew, you know, this hazardous condition existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You have to be careful about what's in those reports. And a lot of times in fatalities and um, serious injuries, you know, the safety personnel for an organization will fill those out. And I think they have, they're almost taking personal responsibility. You know, what, Mm -hmm. I I could have done something better. Yeah, And I agree that oftentimes, you know, shows up in somehow in that investigatory mm-hmm. report, which is not good for not good. purposes. Yeah. But I have seen a number of safety people take that very personally. <clears throat> it's a very emotional time, obviously. Sure. And they do occasionally, even in that rapid response investigation where they are just sending information back and forth with OSHA, my advice is no adjectives. Like, let's let's, let's not make this more colorful than it needs to be. They get a little bit but if somebody calls me and says, hey, we've had a fatality, my first question is, have you spoken with Randy yet? Because I should not be your first call as a safety person. Speak to legal counsel first. And then if there's a need for some kind of safety assistance. Right. You know, but yeah, I, because I don't think with they should legal be counsel. Do, mm-hmm. You'll get that attorney client privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, you shouldn't do You just should not go into it without legal representation, the fatalities or serious injuries what we used to call catastrophes where there might be multiple people involved, mm-hmm. things like that. It is, it is, um, kind of precarious. Yeah, for I sure. agree. And so what else? <laughs> Any more advice well, for yeah, employers? The, the, the last thing I think for advice is after the accident, after you've done your investigation, after you, all, all the things we've talked about, what I see employee employers do too often is just kind of break off communication with their employees. You know, it's with the it's with the insurance company and the adjusters handling it, and they're not communicating with their with their employees while they're off work. And that's a terrible idea. You you need to continue to communicate with them. You know, remind them that we're we're ready for you to come back to work when you're ready, and and they'll come back. Uh, you know, sooner. And with a better attitude, you can you can easily alienate and disgruntle an employee if you aren't communicating mm-hmm. with them. And they're at home and they're in pain and they might start feeling like I'm disabled mm-hmm. and they're not going to come back to work as quickly. And they might feel like and abandoned. I abandoned, mean, if you're not making that communication effort. Con- confused. And, mm-hmm. and that's often when they go find a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need a lawyer because I don't understand. What, I don't understand the system. I don't mm-hmm. understand what's going on. 
Um, oftentimes, too, there are things they can do. You know, they can come in and do some work for you. Mm-hmm. And does that disqualify their work comp? Right. If they're if they're payment? Work, yeah, if they're working full time, they're not going to be getting a, a disability check. Okay. They they might work shortened hours, and then you'll be paying them what we call temporary partial disability. Okay. And that can limit you, you know your exposure. You're going to be paying them one way or another. You might as yeah. well have them do some work. Yeah. Is, is my and they're going to come back. What's sooner. your opinion of that? Uh, that light work, light that, duty, light duty, that is um, just make work. Is, yeah, I'm not an in opinion favor on that? of it. Um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, Brian says you're going to pay for it one way or the other. I mm-hmm, mean, if mm-hmm. if you say I don't have light duty, go home. Um, yeah, they'll get that, you know, temporary um, disability uh, indemnification. But, I mean, if you don't have work for them, you don't have work. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, it's not going to be the dollar for dollar that you're paying for it. Your your premiums will likely increase. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the other thing, too, to keep in, in mind with this is, you know, we, we often talk about the Bermuda Triangle, work comp being one part of it, but... The Americans with Disabilities Act and the Family and Medical Leave Act um, also kick in here. And, um, you know, so certainly, you know, when somebody's got a work comp injury that takes them out, it's going to be deemed a serious health condition for FMLA purposes. And what I see a lot of employers, they just fail to recognize that. And no, it's it's FMLA. So give them the FMLA notice mm-hmm. while they're out. And start eating up that 12 weeks of job guarantee that they have under the FMLA. Um, and the ADA kicks in because it's like, well, you know, you're at MMI and you can't do your job. Guess we'll fire you. Well, time out. Um, is there a way we can accommodate the employee, reasonably accommodate mm-hmm, the employee? Mm-hmm. And there may not be. But then the accommodation of last resort is always, okay, do we have another job this person is qualified to perform with or without an accommodation. Mm-hmm. Those are the steps you need to go through before you make that termination decision. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I think, I guess, depending upon the employee employer relationship, they're oftentimes quick to want to make that, to sever that relationship. And that may not always be appropriate. May not be. Okay. That's interesting. We are um, unfortunately over our time. This is really fascinating stuff. I, I enjoy the d- conversation very much. Thank you, Brian, for sharing a lot of that wisdom. I'd love to see you work in court, man. I bet it, I <laughs> just bet it, like as your cousin not, Vinny. Exactly. Just like, <laughs> as long as I'm not the guy that's crying. I, you know. And Randy, it's always good to see you, my friend. It's been you a pleasure. Too, you, you uh, First of all, congratulations to Barrett Home. I know you guys are celebrating your 150th anniversary, yeah. which is very exciting. Now, you weren't one of the founders, I'm assuming. <laughs> no, no, I came a couple years after okay. started. Okay. <laughs> right. One of the first round of hires, probably. Yeah. Good for you, man. Now, that's really cool. And you just received an accolade, an award, Lawyer of the Year? I did. I yeah. just saw that. For uh, employment law management side. Good for you, man. I'm not surprised, but that's outstanding. That's great. Yeah, it is cool. You. And you've got a few years left in you. I do. Good. You know, quite a few. When you, really? Yeah. You feel you feel good and you're enjoying it still? Yeah. I mean, the alternative is go home and bug my wife and that's not going to go over very well. <laughs> well right, man. Which is why I continue to work as well, right? Yeah, I, I have no 
I have no intention of retiring, which, you know, I don't, I enjoy the work so much. I just can't imagine not doing it. So thank you, fellas. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you need to get a hold of these guys, and you probably do, Bairdholm, uh, com. is that your it is the website? Mm-hmm. I went on this morning, and there was a lot of great information on your website. Uh, you both have very nice pictures on the website, <laughs> um, I, I will say. And um, all the contact information you need would be there at uh, Bairdholm.com. Right. So give them a call. You probably need their help. You may not even know it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next Friday. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.